All right, let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. This is actually the last uh, installment of my series from the book of Philippians. This will be the 21st message that I preached from Philippians. And really, we're, we're coming back to the title of the entire series, which was Supplying All Your Needs in chapter 4 and verse 19. And today, uh, we're going to cap it off with the message on God's supply. God's supply. And so, why don't we do this, if you found your place in the Scripture. We'll read from verse 14, and just to finish it out, we'll read right through the end of the chapter. And then we'll focus on verses 15 through 19 as our text uh, this morning. So you can follow along silently as I read the Scriptures out loud. The Bible says, Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now, ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you. Chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Dear precious Heavenly Father, great God in heaven, mighty Savior, Creator, and Lord, we thank you for the Scriptures. We thank you for the amazing gift of salvation through Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection. We thank You, Lord, for the fellowship of the saints this side of heaven. We thank You for the precious thing it is for brothers and sisters in Christ to gather together to worship and serve You together. Lord, we pray that this morning as we focus on Your supply, that You will speak directly to the needs of each and every heart. Lord, perhaps there's someone here today in need of Your spiritual supply in the matter even of their eternal salvation. Lord, they've never yet understood that Jesus Christ died personally for them and that His death and His shed blood and the atonement that He made for our sins is sufficient, is all that they need. There is not nothing in terms of good works 
of charitable giving, of any effort on their part that they can do to save themselves, that today they'd realize that God's supply for eternal and abundant life is sufficient for them. Perhaps it's a believer who needs to trust you for some area of your supply in their life. And I pray that they would be encouraged and helped and exhorted to do just that this morning. Lord, we'll thank you carefully for all that you do now in our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Obviously, the focal point of our text is verse 19, where it says, But my God shall supply all your need. And sometimes he does that through faithful men in the sound booth who remind the pastor that his microphone is not on. My God shall supply all your need. Listen, folks, if we can be confident in anything, we can be confident in this. God will provide. Jehovah Jireh of Abraham's day is our provider too. Are you in need today? What is your need? Is it a material need? Is it an emotional need? Is it a spiritual need? Is it a need for wisdom in some decision that you happen to be facing? Well, I can tell you boldly and confidently and without any fear of contradiction that if you love God and you are seeking His will for your life, He will supply absolutely everything that you need. I am absolutely convinced of this. I am fully persuaded that it is true. Not only from the Scriptures, but even from my own personal experiences over the years, I thank God for His provision of physical safety in my life. From the time that as an eight-year-old boy, I fell off the top of a 12-foot ladder and merely knocked the wind out of my sails by God's grace. He could have taken me home. And how that in 1988, my young bride and I were traveling across the prairies in the winter and God uh, preserved us when our car broke down in in, uh, minus 40 weather. Some of you have heard the story before. He's met my daily needs for 56 and now into my 57th year. He's met my spiritual need in amazing ways starting with my salvation in July of 1977. He's blessed me with a wonderful wife and six amazing children. And He's provided for each and every one of us. In my ministry life, God has supplied every need as He has led and guided me through the years, beginning with my days at Victory Baptist Church, where as a 26-year-old pastor who really didn't know the first thing about pastoring, You know, there's a phrase that's familiar among pastors. Well, they didn't teach me that in Bible college or seminary. Uh, Believe me, that's been uttered from these lips many, many times over the years, and yet God was gracious. 
through my years at Bethel Baptist Church as an associate pastor, 20 years here at MIBC, and I'm confident that in the future, uh, in, in my involvement with Baptist Missions to Forgotten People, Baptist Church Planning Ministry, and the Barnabas Network that God will again supply. Listen to these great scriptures. I know they're familiar to you, but they bear repeating over and over again, not only on our lips, but in our hearts. Romans 8.28 And we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Romans 4.21, where Abraham is said to be have been fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. And in Psalm 37.25, David said, I have been young and now I'm old, and yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken? nor his seed begging bread. In Psalm 78, verse 19, a kind of a negative reference is just that how Israel doubted God in the wilderness. And it says they spake against God and they said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Well, what's the answer to that question? Hello, Israel. He's the God who gave you bread from heaven. He's the God that provided you water out of the rock. He is the God that provided you with clothing on your back and shoes on your feet that didn't wear out for 40 years. Can God provide? Listen, this is a God who in Malachi 3.10, where we're told to bring the tithes into the storehouse, that says... I uh, Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there should not be room enough to receive it. I like what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9.8. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye ha- always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. And then our text but my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. No question about it. I mean, there's no need for doubting, amen? No need for worry or anxious concern. He sustains, He supplies, He satisfies. And He has done that time and again, not only for Israel, but for the New Testament believers that we read of and the Apostle Paul, for these Philippian believers uh, upon whom their situation we are focused today, he has done that for me time and again, and he will do that, and he has done that for you. Now, in Paul's particular situation, I want us to consider three factors or conditions involved in God's supply. Three of them. And now my main points... Uh, this morning, you're going to be surprised they're not alliterated. And that is because I couldn't say it any better than the three words that God gave me. And so we'll begin with this. We're going to talk about the necessity of God's supply in verses 15 through 17. Do you think there is a need for God's supply in our lives? You know, and, and all God's people said amen to that. And we, we look for a raise of hand, but we say, yeah, count me in. I need God's supply. There's a necessity of it. And I I want you to understand something, that whenever and wherever there is a need in the lives of God's people, God is the first one aware of it. He was aware of the need before you were, before I was. 
God not only knows the need, He cares about the individuals in the place of need. And He is true. We talk about first responders. Thank God for our emergency services personnel in our community. Amen? Whether they're uh, paramedics, police, firemen, even SWAT teams we have today, right? Um, thank God for that. But God is the original first responder. Okay? Uh, he is above and beyond all others. And so we may not see it immediately in our situations. You know, the, the, the storm comes. The hurricane blows in. And we're going, now where is God? But I want you to understand something. God's already on the scene. He's already there. He is there to supply and to sustain us. Now, in the case of Paul's need, God chose to use these early believers at Philippi. Christians who did not have an abundance of worldly good. But they were willing and sacrificial givers. Uh, in fact, in Second Corinthians, Paul said they were willing to give themselves. And Paul says of them, his testimony here in verse number 14 is that you've done well. Uh, Or we could say you've done a beautiful thing. This is an excellent service that you've rendered. This is the noble thing that you have done. And so more than was expected of them. And of course, Paul was highly pleased by that demonstration of love. The Philippians communicated, that word is used twice, verse 14 and 15, with Paul's affliction. What does that word to communicate mean? It means to become a partaker with others, to share or to have fellowship with a thing. Paul, uh, Paul's burdens became the burdens of the Philippians. And they were partners, therefore, in Paul's ministry. The Philippian church made themselves fellow partakers with Paul in the responsibility of spreading the gospel. And so uh, what I'm saying is that God can do a lot with your little and mine. Okay, God sees needs. There is a necessity for God's supply. But God often chooses to use you and I with our little ability and our little supply. And he can do, honestly, he can do more with your little and a willing heart then he can do with the great abundance of, of the wealthy who have no heart for God. Just like the widow's might. He'll multiply it. Um, God will often use others as the instruments to supply your needs and mind. And he wishes to use us, similarly, as an instrument in supplying the needs of others. Uh, the principle that those who give generously will be blessed is taught repeatedly throughout the Scripture. Uh, Proverbs 11.25, The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. Second uh, Corinthians 9.6 says, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Uh, Jesus, in Acts 20, verse 35, is quoted as saying, It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. So the Philippians had sacrificially given of their earthly possessions to support Paul. And in return for that uncommon generosity, God would abundantly supply 
their need. And God would not be their debtor. Okay? So, when we're serving God, and there is a necessity, and there will be necessities in our lives. If we always enjoyed abundance, and we had no need, we're in a dangerous place. But when we come to that point of need, we come to a point of necessity, we learn that how much that we need to be dependent upon God. But what the Philippian believers discovered and what you and I will discover too is that we, it's impossible to outgive God. Impossible. Luke 6.38, Jesus said, Given it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom, for with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. So let's examine three ways now in which God's supply meets the necessity of His servants. Let's talk about that necessity. And, and let's, let's frame these thoughts around this idea of the need, the necessity of God's supply, because we're all there. Okay, If we sent a sign-up sheet around, we sent a little list on a clipboard, and said, write down any needs you have. I don't think there'd be a person here today that would put beside their name, uh, nada, nothing, no, I'm, I'm in, not in need of anything. Everybody would have something. But these three thoughts come to my mind from the text. Number one, necessity... And we're talking about biblical necessity is associated with God's calling. It's associated with God's calling. Now, remember, the way it's worded there, my God shall supply all your needs, not your greeds. And what what are those needs? What is that necessity? Well, in Paul's life, from which we take this, it's clearly associated with the work of God. Look at verse 15. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the gospel, that's when you, no other church did, but you communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving. So Paul begins by taking these believers back ten years to his first preaching of the gospel at Philippi. And what I want to say to you is that whenever and wherever the work of the gospel is undertaken, God is already there to supply. And no good work for God can be accomplished without God's people supporting it prayerfully and, yes, even financially. You know, some some people along the way have have complained about pastors or churches or uh, ministers of God. Uh, mentioning money. And they, they'll say something, well, all you, all you ever talk about is money. Well, like what one old southern black preacher said. He was talking about that matter of money, and he says, you know, people complain about that. But he said, brother, let me tell you something. The water of life, people say, oh, the water of life, it's free. He said, yes, the water of life is free. But the plumbing costs money. <laughs> all right? You still need a conduit to get it out. And, uh, you know, whether that's, that's, uh, God's ministers or it's, it's, it's an earthly, uh, organization. In the case of the church, not an organization, but an organism, a ministry, uh, then that needs to be supported. God designs for, and while He uses people, never, 
never miss this. It's still God's supply. Okay, we're just instruments. We, we receive what God trusts and blesses us with. And you know, there's no work that's more worthy of support than the work of God, is there? Okay, do you think that the God of heaven would send his own dear son here to bleed and to die <coughs> such a vicious and shameful death on Calvary? And that his own son during his earthly ministry would make so much of this matter of getting the gospel message out to the world. <coughs> that God would invest that kind of time and resources and sacrifice in his work and command us to do that work, mind you. And then when we go out to accomplish us, he's going to cut us off. Does that make any sense? Absolutely not. And so God's supply is always associated with His calling. And I don't believe there's... You know, we've had many missionaries come through MIBC over the 20 years I've been here. And I wish, with all my heart, we could have taken every single one of those missionaries on for support. We're not able to do that. Okay? But we're able to support some. And thank God for, for all the missionaries we've supported here over 20 years that not one missionary has missed a regular support check from this church. And that's a wonderful testimony, not only for you and of you as a church, but it is a testimony of God's faithfulness to supply. All right? So um, the, the first thing about the necessity, it's associated with God's calling. And then um, it is, secondly, I want you to see that it's advanced in timely installments. Paul says of, of the Philippians, he said in verse 16, even in Thessalonica, he sent once and again to my need, my, and, and to my necessity. <laughs> the thing about our need is it's not, you know, here today and gone tomorrow. From From the moment we enter this world... Uh, until we leave, we're in need daily, right? The little baby, I mean, it doesn't take them that long. They're born, and they get that first breath of air, and what's the next thing out of their, out of their, that passes their lips? Ah! And what is that? That's baby language for, I need something! I need to be fed! I need to be held! I need my diaper changed, right? Necessity and necessity follows us till our till the grave. And thank God that you see here in this verse, Paul said you sent once and again. The once and again means it's not a one time supply. It's according to our need. As our need comes and continues, and so does God's supply. It follows that. And it's never all at once. You know, sometimes people are thinking, well, Lord, if you love me, you know, you just like drop a million dollars on my front porch. The fact is, the Lord knows we probably couldn't handle that. And so he sends it to us in timely installments. And over the course of time, the truth is we all receive more and something of far more worth than a million dollars. Amen. You know, if we're not careful, 
sometimes we can even wonder, what has God done for me lately? Yeah, I know He supplied my need back here, but that was 25 years ago. Listen, if you have to think 25 years back for God's supply, you're not paying attention. You're not paying attention. He supplied your need in the past, didn't He? But why is it we have trouble trusting Him for the future, even today? The message here, you sent once and again. And God will send once and He'll send again. And He'll send again. And brother or sister, He'll supply again and again. God did it before. God will do it again. It's advanced and timely installments. And thirdly, it's appointed by God as an eternal investment. Philippians 4.17. Paul says about this necessity and the Philippians being the channel for God's supply in his life. He says in verse 17, it's not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. The gift of the Philippian believers brought Paul joy, not because of its personal benefit, material benefit to him uh, only, but even more so because of its spiritual benefit to them. The words giving and receiving back in verse 15 are business terms referring to the credit and debit side of a ledger. It's as if Paul was saying to them, no other church open up an account to transact this kind of business other than you. And in verse 17, it's a financial term that's used as well. The phrase abound to your account, that's an investment phrase. And it means interest that's been accumulated to your account. Now, do you think that and these Philippian believers, they lived and died a long time ago. They've been in heaven for the better part of 2,000 years. But what was the far-reaching impact of Paul's ministry? The fact is it's been global. And every time another... Sinner is saved. As the sort of the ripple from the, from the stone in the pond that was, was Paul, from his ministry, there is a little more interest accruing to the account of the Philippian believers. Now that's exciting. That's exciting! So we, we can be a part of God's supply in that way. And if God supplies our need in terms of us having an impact for Christ and the gospel, then others are investing in our lives. And so there's this necessity. But the second word I want us to look at, and we're not take near as much time with this one because we want to get to the the final uh, uh, term, the final point, which is more of a major one. But the second one is important, and I call it the satisfaction in God's supply. There's a necessity of God's supply, but there's a satisfaction as well. Look at verse 18. Paul says, but I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice, acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Just this past week, I was listening to some news radio, and there was a little snippet on giving that I found intriguing. Uh, it, it, there was apparently a study conducted and a number of participants 
were given a modest sum of money on a weekly basis uh, over, I think it was a three-month period. And I don't think it was here in North America where it, in terms of dollars, but let's just say for sake of example that that was $50 Canadian. And it was somewhere around that. And um, everyone in this study group received the $50 every week. But there were two... Uh, parts to the, the, these, these gr- two different groups. One group was instructed, take the $50 and spend it on yourselves. The other group was instructed to take the $50 and bless someone else with it. Give it away. And they, uh, then, uh, they, they monitored sort of the emotional state of the two groups. And they found that, guess what? The group who were given the $50 away were the happier group. They were the more content group. They were the more satisfied and joyful group than the group that spent it on themselves. That's just a secular study. Do you think God knows what he's talking about (laughs) when he instructs us that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive? And so there's satisfaction here. Now, the terminology of verse 18 uh, has uh, very much a priestly connotation. It has to do with the the sacrificial uh, uh, ceremonial aspects of that, even going back to the Old Testament. But those priests back in Old Testament days would go into the holy place and they would put incense upon the altar, incense. And it would ascend from that altar with a sweet smell. And this is what Paul's saying. You're giving. And God supplying through your giving is a sweet, wonderful aroma. <clears throat> and so you and I as Christians in our giving, we're like that priest making an offering to God. And you see, when it's made in the right spirit, there's satisfaction all around, all around. And we see this in our text. You know, Paul was satisfied. Now, although it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, there's absolutely nothing wrong with being satisfied when you're on the receiving end. That's exciting too, isn't it? You know, God gives sufficient grace. And Paul Paul was satisfied. He said, I have all and, and I abound and I am full. And then notice, having received... Having received, it satisfies him. Uh, but not only was Paul satisfied, the Philippians were satisfied because they got to be on the giving end of it. He says, having received of Epaphroditus. Remember Epaphroditus, who at, at risk of his own life and with almost a, a uh, gambler's attitude toward even his own life and his own well-being, he was a willing conduit of the Philippians' gift to Paul. Do you think Epaphroditus was, had some satisfaction in, do, in, in, in serving Paul in that way? Oh, absolutely. And um, the Philippian believers as well. And so there's joy in the hearts of those who God uses as the conduits or the couriers of his blessings. But even more important than Paul being satisfied or the Philippians being satisfied, here's the point of it all. The Father is satisfied. God is satisfied. It's an odor of a sweet smell. 
It's a sacrifice that's acceptable. It's well-pleasing to God. And so there's this rich and wonderful satisfaction in the very heart of God as He puts the necessity of His supply in our hearts and in others' hearts, and then observes as we do His bidding, whether we are in the giving end or the receiving end at a particular time. Such satisfaction in His heart that it's like the sweet-smelling aroma of that Old Testament sacrifice. Satisfaction in God's supply. Now, I can tell you this, before we move on to our, our very last point. I can tell you this. As an earthly father, I've had some opportunities to, to really bless my children in some material ways. And when I do that, I'm telling you what, I mean, it's indescribable, isn't it? To be able to bless your own kids. You know, you, you don't do that in a grudging way. How about God? How much more do you think He loves His children? How much more do you think He, he loves us and wants to meet our need, especially when we're seeking to do His will, seeking to serve Him? Just picture that. Just grab a hold of that today and say, you know, God's not some stingy giver. God is a satisfied giver, benevolent and loving, wonderful Heavenly Father that wants to open the windows of heaven in our lives. And so this is what we've got to grab a hold of. This is the truth that we need to gravitate to. Now, Christians may be poor at times. Remember, Paul said, I've learned how to be a base and how to abound. And while we may be poor at times, we should never be poor-mouthed. Because we have a great God. And He is watching over us. And He is looking and sees our need. And He cares. And He will supply it. And that just leads me naturally, the flow of this message, into my last point. We've seen the necessity. We've seen the satisfaction in God's supply. And the last thing is, oh boy, get a hold of verse 19. Because here we go. We're just going to unpack this. The certainty of God's supply. The certainty of it. The certainty of God's supply is summarized in this one incredible verse. And I probably don't know of too many other verses in the Bible that more Christians have committed to memory than Philippians 4.19. We all love this one. Amen? But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And there's three words that are brought to mind as I look at this verse that help us understand the certainty of it all. Number one, it's comprehensive. My God shall supply all your need. Now again, it's not, not our greed, but our need. Now you think about our needs. They're, they're very basic, right? Food, shelter, clothing, those kind of things. But God looks after every one of those needs. And often, He blesses us away 
beyond our need. Let's be honest. Way beyond. How can it be? When we are unworthy and undeserving of even having our basic needs supplied, that at times even blesses us with the luxuries of life. I mean, and, and, and God's supply is, the certainty of it is, it's so comprehensive that I can tell you this. I cannot be ever, as a child of God, in any situation, at any time, when God will not supply my need. I cannot be ever in any situation, at any time, when God will not supply my need. Now, I may not see it immediately. I may not understand how he's working, what he's doing. But that's his promise. The psalmist said in Psalm 84, verse 11, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. So it's comprehensive. All things. All my need. All your need. No good thing withheld. It's not only comprehensive, but it's copious. Okay? This is where you, you are allowed to pull out dictionary.com on your, I, I laugh about this because I, I had someone tell me, oh, Pastor Teeson, we're going to miss your preaching. And um, they said, there, there's two books that you need when Pastor Teeson preaches. You need the Bible and you need a dictionary. <laughs> but, but copious is, is one of those great words that just means it's abundant, it's bountiful. It's just overwhelming over the top that God supplies. And you see it in that phrase, it's according to his riches and glory. Now, I like that. It's according to his riches. It's not according to my brother's riches. I'm talking about a spiritual brother. And if we're not careful, what we do as Christians, we sometimes look at other believers' apparent wealth. And I say apparent because, you know, you can't judge the book by its cover. You look at the clothes somebody wears and maybe look at the car they drive, a home they live in, whatever, and you think, well, they're well-to-do, they're well-off. Why don't they meet my need? The fact is, that's not what the Bible says. It's not according to my brother or sister's riches that God supplies my need. It's according to His riches that He supplies my need. Nor is it according to the riches of Bill Gates or Warren Buffett. Now, Bill, Bill Gates, if you go by his net worth, I, I did a little calculation once. Bill Gates could afford to feed the entire world, 7 billion people, for one month. One month, think of it. And then it's it's over and done with. That's, that's Bill Gates. <laughs> Bill Gates cannot supply your spiritual need. But my God shall supply all your need. According to His riches, God's riches in glory. Do you, are you familiar with the with the chorus that says He owns the cattle on a thousand hills? 
the wealth in every mine. He owns the rivers and the rocks and rills, the sun and stars that shine. Wonderful riches, more than tongue can tell. Listen to this. They are my father's, so they're mine as well. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I know that he will care for me. Now, praise the Lord. His riches are not only material or financial. His riches are also emotional, intellectual, sociological. They're relational. And above all, his riches are spiritual riches. And it says that these are his riches in glory. And I'm reminded of what Matthew 6.33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Or as it says in Luke 12.32, same context, Jesus also said, Fear not, little flock. You love that, the way Jesus would speak to us? I mean, it's a term of endearment. Fear not, little flock. We're the sheep of his pasture. Beautiful. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Wow. And one day, we will be basking in the eternal glorious richness of God. One day, according to Ephesians 2 and verse 7, where it says in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Romans 8, verse 18, Paul said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's the riches of His glory. It's not something temporal. It's not something just earthly. It's going to fade and it's going to be gone. You know, there's a verse in the Proverbs that says, riches, they make themselves wings and they fly away. There's another verse, I believe it's in one of the minor prophets. It might even be Haggai now that I think of it. Where he says, you know, we, we, we gather things and we, we put them into a bag. We put our riches in a bag. But the bag's got holes in it. You know, so the minute you put that in, it just leaks out the bottom end. Not so God's riches. They're eternal. They're lasting. It's amazing. So, in, in this matter of the certainty of God's supply, comprehensive, Copious, beyond what you could imagine, according to the riches of his glory. And finally, you know, if we hadn't already hit the nail on the head enough, I'm just going to drive it home with this last point. But the certainty of it is bound up in this last thought. It's Christological. What do I mean by that? It's all about Jesus. It's by Christ Jesus. So... What, what the scripture is saying and what I wish to communicate clearly with you here this morning in closing is that Jesus Christ himself is the greatest evidence of God's supply for us. Look at Romans 8 for a moment, verse 31 and 32, and listen and think about how this thought is worded here. Romans 8, verse 31 says, what shall we say then to these, these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? And then verse 32, it says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things?
So if you're ever tempted to doubt God's supply, just wrap your head around this for a moment. Jesus already died for you. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I'm here to tell you on the authority of God's Word that there is no greater gift. There is no greater sacrifice. And there can be no greater supply than the person of Jesus Christ. And if you're here today without Christ as your Savior, God help you. If you go out into eternity without Him, you'll never know the riches of eternity without Jesus. You need to be saved. You need to receive Jesus Christ. All the rest is gravy. It's, you know, it's icing on the cake. Yeah, God supplies in all these different ways. But if you're not saved, any other thing you enjoy of His supply is meaningless. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about Him. Above all, His riches are those spiritual riches bound up in Jesus. Why why would you doubt Him when He's done so much for you already? Now, speaking from a merely human perspective... We probably, those, those of us that are parents here today, let's just couch it in, in these terms we can all understand. If you have sons or daughters, or a son or a daughter, you have children, you're a parent. I'm sure we would all say something like this. If someone were asking us, We would say, I would, I will give you my money. I will give you material good. I'll give you the clothes off my back before I would give you my son or daughter's life. Wouldn't you agree with that? Listen, no, nothing else that we possess would be worth what our children are to us. And yet, God gave His Son first. That's what God did. He gave you Jesus. So the certainty of His supply this morning, I want you to understand, it's bound up, it's certified in that one incredible internal gift of His Son. And God's people should be saying amen and amen. Let us shout it from the rooftops and never be ashamed of that gospel. Amen? And so this morning... God's supply. We saw the necessity of it. And, you know, if, if we need to affirm the necessity of it, we would all line up and say, uh, oh, yeah, it's me, Lord. I need your supply. But let, we need to look further at the satisfaction of God's supply. Yes, we're satisfied when we receive, but we can have a greater satisfaction in giving. And the greatest satisfaction of all is the one that God has when we just obediently follow Him. And then we need to get a hold of the certainty. Comprehensive, copious, and Christological. Wonderful. Let's close in prayer, shall we?